Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Think about it. Think about it. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Richard. That's Isn't that a blessing to hear? Oh my goodness. Oh, we have to stay grateful for what we're building, what we're a part of here, and what God's doing. Something has shifted in our community. And that hunger, hunger is such a high value. It's a high new covenant value. It's a high kingdom value. It's a high value of righteous people, sons and saints and kings and priests, even to hunger still for more of the presence of God, for more of his kingdom in our nation and in the nations. Am I right? I hope so, because I'm hungry for him. It's burning. It's burning. <clears throat> the God of Elijah, the same God who manifested himself in Jesus Christ and the God who's not afraid to show himself mighty on the earth, God who's not afraid to put to shame idols and false gods and establish his name, demonstrate his greatness and character and majesty. That God is my God. I'm hungry to see him move. Oh, and we're in a community where permission is granted to hunger for him, to create space for him, to turn aside, to seek his face. Gosh, I'm blessed to be in this house. We love God. We want his presence. We want to see revival in our country. And we're positioned for it now. We're positioned now. Positioned for revival. Man, come on, let's meet with God tonight. Let's do it. Let's hang out with God. Let's, let's invite him. Let's create a landing strip and just a postured heart for him tonight. Let's surrender to what he wants to do. Let's let him take the wheel of our house. Let's let him spill out of this place like a river into this city. Wow, the shift is here. It's the Meg's movement, you know. It's that movement she did. That's, that's what it is. Spot on. It's that. That's what we're up to. Far out. So Catherine's in Christchurch. She sends her love. She's a little colder than usual over there, but she's with some really good friends of ours in one of our network churches, Gideon and Catherine. And they're actually going to be over here for our conference on Thursday. So she says hello. Um, do, if you haven't registered for the GCN, please do. I want, it's going to be good. It's going to be really, really special. We have healing rooms um, at our conference. If you, know, if you know sick people that need a miracle, bring them along to this conference. We have a dedicated space just to pray for miracles. Uh, we want to see a momentum built in that space. We have prophetic booths. Uh, we have a whole range of speakers. It's going to be really good. So please, if you haven't uh, registered, please do. I want to talk about being a culture-changing culture tonight. And I just, I just felt I had, had two stories impressed on my heart. Can I share some stories tonight? Awesome. Uh, there's such a, such a value right now on our house for cultivating hunger for a move of God's spirit. And, and I just want to share these stories. And I think, I think he wants to, I think the Lord wants to confront something 
um, that's happening, particularly around this virus that's that's getting around, and not just the virus, but the spirit of fear that's that's attached itself to it, uh, and some of the pandemonium that's creating. But I feel like God is. Um, well, firstly, let me say this because I felt like I should. If if your theology dictates that God created the virus, you need a new theology. Because if we sing that he's perfect in all of his ways, but then have a concept that he's creating disease or there's some divine administration behind these things, we're really going to have a hard time in our relationship with the Father. It says God uses all things for good. It says he turns all things for good. It doesn't say he causes all things for good. There's a huge difference. But I feel like the Lord is, a, is, is in the midst of this, wanting to take an opportunity through his church. And we can catch an opportunity. You know, we had it prophesied recently by Emmanuel Waraj that our church would very rapidly grow to 3,000. We grabbed hold of that in prayer. It's one of our declarations. I just wonder if, um, if, if what we're moving into, there's, there's a divine opportunity right now to, to, to meet a need that's been exposed, and usually this need is camouflaged by our reasonable economic security, particularly in Australia. Meaning we have more money to hide our problems. We have more money to pretend our problems aren't there. We have more um, sense, sense of security but when things start to get poked, you know, when we, when we depend on medical systems, we depend on economic strength, we depend on certain things. And when things start to get a little bit of a negative projection, it shows what you've put your trust in. And, and there's this fragility. Has anyone experienced a, a sense of fragility? Anyone? It's not just me, surely. Yeah. Right, there's, there's this paper-thin sense of security in anything that's not Christ. In anything changeable when fragility is exposed and you're unanchored to an unchanging God, you begin to feel very fragile. And there's a divine opportunity right now in our nation. I, I feel that the church, uh, Mandy, I saw your post on Facebook today about fear and just offering prayer and actually like reaching into people's hearts right now. I loved that. There's a, there's a divine opportunity. How many of you have, have non-Christian friends on your Facebooks or that you're in reach with? If you could just throw something out there of hope and stability, it would be so easy right now to catch someone's heart and provide help and hope to them. It is like harvest time. God wants to use this. He didn't cause it. He wants to use it. He wants us to take an opportunity right now. And I, I was listening back and Pastor Catherine talked about the opposite of fear being love because love casts out fear. And if we could, as the body of Christ, rise up in this moment and actually take authority over a spirit of fear that's trying to attach itself to a very, a very real thing and create, create um, instability, my goodness, we could see something amazing. And as Carsten was prophesying, and Mandy as well, that God is for you, not against you. This is like the message of the church right now. 
to the nations. The Bible says that the God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Do you know that, that verse? For a long time, because I had a twisted perception of God, I thought that was a negative thing because I didn't like the rain much. Am I alone? Did anyone else think that? God causes the rain, yeah, to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Has anyone heard that verse and thought, oh, bummer. I guess we're all going to get rained on, even the just. Anyone? Right, but he's, he's speaking in, uh, directly into an agricultural nation that depend on the rain for everything. It's a good thing, the rain of God. It's good when God sends the rain. And he causes it to fall not just on the just, but the unjust too. So he wants to see our nation exalted in righteousness. Oh, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but God is not at the wheel of this stuff. He's, he's, he's beckoning and drawing his church to stand up and represent his heart right now. Come on, Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The fullness of deity dwelt bodily. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. The expressed nature of God wrapped in a man, and he never once created a sickness. He never once created a storm. He never once sent a drought. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you can find one incident where Jesus creates a sickness instead of healing it, I'll change my theology. But it's just not there. And so God wants us to partner with who he is and release it on the earth right now and take a divine opportunity. And there's something about what Carsten released. There's something shifting right now. And, and I, I feel like if we could agree on something tonight, we could actually begin to see a tide turned. You might say, oh, we're just one little church in Australia. What's, gosh, is God God? Well, yeah, we might be, but Holy Spirit. <laughs> Holy Spirit, the one, who, the one who created this country we live in and can crash into it in a second if we just partner with him. Are you with me? I want to show you something in Matthew 16. I, want to, I just want to remind us, uh, and these stories I'm going to share really quick are going to um, be an example of this. It's about changing atmospheres and environments and taking authority over a realm and a region and, and injecting the kingdom into, the, into an atmosphere. And that's what he wants us to do. In Matthew 16, we'll start in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you this, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. <clears throat> Why? Because I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Who? The church. The church built upon Peter or built upon the revelation that Jesus Christ is the living Son of God. The revelation, the rock, Christ, 
the revelation that he is Messiah, he is Savior, he is Lord, the church is built upon that cornerstone reality. And the church is given these things called keys to this reality, this realm, this dimension called the kingdom of heaven. And he says the what of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. For whatever you loose on earth will have been loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Wow, what a mandate, right? What a mandate. He announces the church and in the same breath gives a mandate to take authority over the domain of darkness. In the same breath, he gives us authority and a mission and a purpose to change the atmosphere, to change the earth and make it look like heaven by co-laboring with his spirit. Okay, what do gates do? Keep you out, they keep things shut, or they open things. Okay, so the, the, the gates of hell, right, will not prevail against the church. Let's just get, let's just lock in on that for a second. So there's these gates. Apparently hell, this realm, this place of, of, of uh, theft and loss and destruction, this place of deception and manipulation and darkness, this domain has these things called gates, right? And, and Jesus says here, he's like, once the church gets the revelation of Christ and the recognition of their authority and the keys they have, these gates will not prevail against the church. Now, are these gates on the advance? Have you ever seen a gate with legs and arms and weapons and a shield and a, shield and a sword? No, that'd be weird, right? Yes, thank you, Harry. It would be weird. But why do we get this picture, this dualistic picture of heaven and hell being these equal opposing forces and just maybe Jesus will win? Are you with me? We watch too many superhero movies. The good guy, I think he's going to win. It's like these equal opposites. When the Bible teaches that actually the devil doesn't even have a kingdom, Show me that in the Bible. He has a domain. It's much less cool than a kingdom. He has a domain of darkness. Jesus came with a kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is like leaven. You sow it and it grows and it fills the whole lump. It's like a seed of a mustard tree. It's the smallest of seeds, but when it's planted, it becomes the largest of trees. Increase, increase, increase. Right? We're not equal opposites here. There is a kingdom that is actually moving into the realm of darkness and the domain and the gates that are trying to keep the church out cannot prevail against it because of the authority of the kingdom. And in a time like this, our theology gets exposed. Because are we going to retreat and come under a realm of fear or are we going to live like the church and use our keys and advance his kingdom? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Are we going to advance his realm? Are we going to advance his dominion? Are we going to be a beacon of hope when things start to shake in our nation? I know we can. Are we going to take authority with this power of life and death in our tongues and begin to speak God's heart 
over a virus that's trying to manipulate and, and destroy things. It's been done before. The church has, has won over things like this before. Let's do it again. Let's rise up and instead of succumbing to these layers, these layers of response, you know, you've got the initial, this baseline of fear and then you've got things like responding with um, memes about toilet paper. Oh, that didn't get much of a laugh because half of you have posted them. (laughs) Right? But these realms of response, the baseline is actually just a spirit. It's fear. It's, it's this realm that the enemy's trying to take ground. He's trying to take actual geographic realm in the minds of man. He's, he's trying to take land in the, in the minds of men. He's trying to raise up lofty opinions against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Things like fear, things like suspicion, things like instability, and the church can speak a better word. I know we can create a banner over our city in prayer. I know we can. The Bible teaches the power of prayer. If we, if we could just take this thing, and you post your meme if you want, but then go to prayer. If you've got time to post it, you've got time to pray. My gosh, if you posted but not prayed, you don't understand prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray this thing away. Let's take authority. Come on, God can do this. Let's see him. Let's see the God of Elijah. He's the God of the Bible. He's the God revealed in Christ. Let's see him demonstrate his majesty in our nation. Imagine if we could see an actual like media representation of a virus diminishing in our nation to become a testimony to the globe. Churches prayed and things changed. Shift recognized after prayer meetings held in churches. Why not? Come on, the keys of the kingdom, the gates of hell will not prevail. Let's take ground. Let's plunder. Let's steal back what he's trying to steal from Christ. Last time I checked, this nation belonged to Jesus. I want to tell you a quick story about Peter Cartwright. Who's heard of Peter Cartwright? I think I just got a meme sent to me on Facebook. It's coming up on my screen. Get that off there. He... <laughs> Praise God. My wife is a doctor, as you know. She's a um, fascinating woman. And I was sitting with her and another doctor yesterday, and they were talking about coronavirus and You know, to have faith doesn't mean being foolish or silly or ignorant. It just means actually changing your perspective on what God wants to do and being for it and speaking as though he's real and he has an agenda in this to bring light and life. It doesn't mean being irresponsible, though, especially in community settings. So we can look after ourselves, look after each other. Does that make sense? And that's not compromise. But my gosh, let's stir ourselves up. Let's stir ourselves up to bring the kingdom. And um, Christine and this other doctor were actually getting excited talking about how when things like this happen, the medical industry um, is exposed for just not having the kind of answers everyone thinks they should. And these two doctors, I'm sitting there watching them, fascinated by their responses because they're both godly Christian people who love Jesus and think Jesus is better ultimately than medicine. 
And they're just getting excited. They're like, yes, what an opportunity. They're calling their doctor friends, nurse friends, like, hey, if we, let's work together. Let's pray. Let's like begin to sow seeds to our patients who are coming and, and, and begin to, to, to sow seeds of an unshakable kingdom. When things are looking a bit more fragile, let's sow seeds of a kingdom that can't be shaken for people to grab hold of. And I, was just, I just loved watching that and seeing these perspectives come forth. So who's heard of Peter Cartwright? Who's read God's Generals, the Revivalists? Uh, Academy students, you will be. Second years, I hope all your hands were up. Peter Cartwright is potentially my favorite person in that book that they write about. He actually wrote an autobiography, uh, which you can read. He was born in 1785, and he was a circuit rider. You guys know what a circuit rider was? So the Methodist movement, uh, triggered by John and Charles Wesley in the 1700s in England, they had these, things, these people called circuit riders. So what happened was the Methodist movement, uh, as the British came to America, they came into the uh, east side of America, right? The east coast of America. The British came and they, they, decided they, would, they were occupying America, what we now know as America. And what happened was these, they would establish cities, right, in America and then they'd move across the country and essentially take land and establish towns. And, and right on the edge where they were taking and settling towns was called the frontiers regions, they called it the frontier. It was wild. It was dangerous. There was essentially a nonstop civil war as they're trying to take ground because well, the native people were there and they were, they were not happy, as I guess you wouldn't be. And then the British are coming in. They're, take, they're occupying. They're establishing what America now is. And these Methodist preachers were so intense. They were wild and they were ferocious. And so they, they trained people to, to ride circuits these huge plots of land in, in early America on horseback and just preach the gospel to everyone they came across. Because like, well, if we're going to settle and build a nation, it needs to be a Christian one. And they're just pushing the gospel into every realm they can get into. And they used to ride, sometimes they would ride up to 500 mile circuits. That's, how much is 500 miles? Maybe 800 kilometers, 850. Imagine doing that on horseback. Yeah, that's intense. And they'd go, go, and they'd just town the town, the town, the town along the way. Really dangerous. Peter Cartwright um, almost got killed multiple times. They'd come across um, bodies of people, like English people, that had been killed by Indians or scalped. Like it was extremely the kind of thing you see these intense movies about. So he was, they called him the gun toting preacher because he carried a pistol. And he was a circuit rider, so he had this horse. And he was a circuit rider for 67 years in America. And Peter Cartwright personally baptized over 12,000 people in his ministry. It's a lot of people. And so he, he was a ferocious preacher. He would have these big camp meetings right out in the bush. And, and, and if people got rowdy out there and he'd get his gun, he'd shoot up in the air to silence everyone while he's preaching. He occasionally punched people. Yeah. He was intense. He would tackle people off the platform like, and, and hold them down. I'm holding, I'm not letting go till you repent. Wow. <laughs> Imagine coming to church. <laughs> right? 
But they had, like, he would be out there. He was into it, man. He was intense. And he was just ferocious for the gospel. And, they, and they, he's like, we're going to take as much land in the spirit as is getting taken in the physical. We're going to take as many souls as we can from these rough frontiers people. Now, often when you establish a town, these, these people, usually one of the first things they would build is a bar or a saloon, they used to call them. And there's like an accommodation there, but then there was a bar and they would drink and they would dance and they would get up to no good, right? Because the frontiers realm was pretty debaucherous. So Peter would find himself in the midst of some really tough situations on, on horseback. He'd ride all day and then look for somewhere to stay. He'd come into a little settlement and essentially everyone there is just at the bar and they're drinking, they're dancing. And dancing was very frowned upon back then. It was a... a a thing that was seen as quite sinful to drink and dance and that kind of thing. And I want to just read a couple of excerpts from his own diary of this one bar he went to. This is fascinating. This is in his own words. Listen to this. Okay, so you with me, you picturing this. This is very, very early America. They're sweeping across. It's, it's like civil war. It's intense. He's winning souls. He's doing a great job, but it's rough work, right? And he's on horseback and he shows up in this town. Uh, this is probably late 1700s. And it says this. Saturday night came on and found me in a strange region of country, in the hills and the spurs of the Cumberland Mountains. I greatly desired to stop on the approaching Sabbath and spend it with a Christian people. But I was now in a region of country where there was no gospel minister for many miles around and where, as I learned, many of the scattered population had never heard a gospel sermon in all their lives and where the inhabitants knew no Sabbath but only to hunt, drink, and dance. Thus, lonesome and pensive, late in the evening, I hailed at a tolerably decent house, and the landlord kept entertainment. I rode up on horseback and asked for quarters, so he's looking for somewhere to stay. The gentleman said I could stay, but he was afraid I would not enjoy myself much as a traveler, as they had a party going on that night. Just take note of this. Can you, can you picture the darkness of this place that he's going into and the darkness of the regions he's traveling, watch what, what happens in the atmosphere when a man who knows who he is and what he's called to and what's possible walks into that kind of environment. One Christian in that kind of environment. That night they were dancing. I inquired if there was another house, a decent house along the road. He said, not for seven miles. I said, if you will all treat me civilly and feed my horse, I will stay. He assured me I'd be treated civilly, so I dismounted and went in. The people collected a large company. I saw there was quite some drinking going on. I quietly took my seat in one corner of the house, and the dance commenced. Can you picture it? I sat musing, a total stranger. I greatly desired to preach to these people. Finally, I concluded to spend the next day Sabbath there and ask for the privilege of preaching to them. I had hardly settled the point in my mind when a beautiful, ruddy young lady walked gracefully up to me, dropped a handsome curtsy, and pleasantly, with winning smiles, invited me out to dance with her. I can hardly describe my thoughts on that occasion. 
However, in a moment, I resolved on a desperate experiment. I love this so much. I rose as gracefully as I could. I will say, not with some emotion, but with many emotions. The young lady moved to my right side. I grasped her right hand with my right hand while she leaned her left arm on mine. So it's like that position where the lady's facing that way and you walk onto the dance floor. You picture that? So that's what he does. Carsten to demonstrate. <laughs> You'll have to use your imagination. The whole company seemed pleased at this act of politeness shown to a stranger. The colored man, who was the fiddler, began to put his fiddle in the best order. I spoke to the fiddler to hold on a moment. So this guy starts playing the music and he goes, wait, wait, wait. He's out in the middle of the dance floor now in this place, right? He goes, hold on a second. Oh. <laughs> I added that for several years I've not taken any matter of importance without first asking the blessing of God upon it and that I should like to bless this beautiful young lady and the whole company for showing such politeness to me. Here I grasped the young lady's hand tightly and said, let us all kneel and pray. <laughs> Why do you think he grabbed her hand tightly? <laughs> She's like, she wants to get out of there, right? Instantly, I dropped to my knees and I commenced praying with all the power of soul and body that I could command. The young lady tried to get loose from me, <laughs> but I held her tight. After a moment, she fell to her knees. Some of the company kneeled, some stood, some fled, some sat still, all looked curious. The fiddler ran into the kitchen saying, Lord, have mercy. Who is that man? While I prayed, listen to this. Imagine this. While I prayed, some began to weep and weep aloud. Many began to cry for mercy. I rose from my knees and I commenced an exhortation. After which I sang a hymn. He's just, it's, it's just on. Peter's here. Yeah. He's taken over everything here. The young lady who had invited me on the floor lay prostrate, crying earnestly to the Lord for mercy. I exhorted again. I sang and prayed nearly all night. At least 15 of them professed Christ. And the meeting lasted all day and the next night. And as many more were powerfully converted. I organized a society, which is essentially a small church. This is in a night, a day, and a night. I organized a society. I took 32 into the church, and then I sent them a preacher. My landlord was appointed an, an elder, and he held this post for many years. This was the commencement of a great and glorious revival of religion in that region. And several of the young men converted became the best Methodist preachers in the region. Isn't that fascinating? Can you just picture the shift of atmosphere? To walk into that kind of environment, just one man with the Holy Spirit, and that kind of darkness or debauchery, just deception, and then to just do a divine experiment. 
hey, I wonder if, isn't that awesome? Ah, gosh, I love that. Wow. You know, these these frontiersmen, I I felt, I was asking the Lord, why draw me to that story? The, The story of these Methodist preachers, circuit riders who, who would, as far as land was claimed, they would go to preach the gospel. It's like they had this obsession with, if we're claiming geography, then we're going to claim souls. Does that make sense? And I felt like he said, there, there is a geography that you can't see in our nation. There is a land. It's not in the natural. It's in the spirit. It's the land of, of the minds of people in our nation. It's, it's the land of these, these lofty opinions trying to raise themselves up against the knowledge of Christ. And the church, I just felt him provoking us to take authority, to pray, to lean in and hunger, to, to take what the Lord's impressing upon hunger and actually steer it. Just tonight, I want to do this, to steer it in prayer over this virus to actually target this and over the minds of people. Over the minds of people because the enemy is trying to get to claim ground with his little dominion when actually the church is supposed to be taking authority and increasing the kingdom. Does that make sense? Awesome. I want to just, okay, I don't know if I can do my other story. I might do, ah, oh, such a good story, but I might have to choose between another passage from the Bible. <laughs> That's a tough one. All right, story it is. No, okay. Uh, the Bible. Okay, no, I'm going to do the story. Not because it's more important than the Bible. But I felt like he wants to release something tonight. So I'm going to share this story real quick. And then I want us to pray together. And I actually feel like he's going to impress and impart something of divine encounters. And and something's going to be triggered. I feel like we're going to leave. I actually saw a picture of a river of a change of perspective that, that we're going to carry as a family outside of this place. And, and actually, if we could attune our hearts, you know how Pastor Catherine has been talking about turning aside? I feel like if we can look, turn aside for opportunities in the coming days, there's going to be endless opportunities for real divine moments and divine encounters. And this is the other story he put on my heart, so I want to honor this. But as some of you may have heard us. I know I shared it with the, our first years last year about this encounter that I had uh, and the story that unfolded. But here it is. I, and you've got to follow this story because it's got a couple of layers. But I was at Aldi. And I, I used to work with asylum seekers. So I had these, these six Muslim boys with me at Aldi. And uh, so they would come into community detention. And I, I was a carer. Right? So while they're waiting for a visa status, I would live in, I'd do shifts with them. I'd live in the houses with them. Uh, the Tamils, Irani people, Afghani people, all, all kinds. So most, one of the most incredible jobs I ever did. And I got to preach to them. There was no rules not to preach the gospel. And it's just an amazing opportunity. So we used to have shopping days. So if you were working on a Saturday, it was shopping days. So you'd hop in the van with these six growing men. Like, well, they're under 18. They're big. Some of them are big big appetites, and you'd go shopping. They'd fill the van with stuff, and Aldi was obviously the most cost-effective. Shameless plug, Aldi's awesome. 
right? So we're at Aldi. Got my six Muslim boys, and I'm just cruising Aldi, looking at their coffee pods in disgust. And I don't know why I said that. There's something I need to work through. <laughs> Book me in, Lucci. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So I'm with these guys, and they're doing. They're just loading trolleys up, and this man walks into Aldi. Have you ever seen someone out of the corner of your eye, and you can somehow tell that they're there, they're there for a reason? And I'm looking at him. And he's an Indian guy, and he comes in the door, and he looks like this, like over the shelves, and he's just looking around, quite quite strangely. And then I see him like this. I see him see me, and he locks in. He's like. He starts moving towards me, navigating the aisles past the raincoats and the lawnmowers and the, all the things in the middle. That always seemed like a great deal at the time. And he's coming towards me and he, and he says, excuse me, excuse me. And I'm like, oh, okay, hey, it, it was me. And he goes, are you a Jew? Are you a Jewish man? Because I had a beard back then. I don't know why that made me Jewish, but I, I must have looked Jewish or maybe he, I don't know. Anyway, I have a Hebrew tattoo back there. Maybe he, anyway. I said, no, I'm not, but I am a Christian. And he went, oh, I'm a Christian. This is crazy. Do you know what just happened? I said, no. I said, well, my name's Raj. And I was driving down the street outside Aldi and I've done my groceries at Woolworths this morning. So I've got a carload of groceries out there. I don't need to be here. But on the way down the street, I felt the Lord say, go to Aldi. And I argued with him. I was like, Lord, I don't need anything from Aldi. And he said, go to Aldi. He said it three times, go to Aldi. So he quickly turns in and he feels like he's supposed to meet someone at Aldi. So he comes in and I'm highlighted to him. Creepy, awesome, we'll, we'll see. Right? And so he comes up. Are you a Jew? No, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. This just happened. And I'm like, okay, well, man, that's awesome. I wonder what God wants to do. What do you, what do you think? And he's like, well, I don't know. So we had this weird moment. I'm like, all right, well. So he's like, tell me about yourself. And I'm like, well, I, I work with asylum seekers. These six boys here are all Muslim boys. Um, actually, I've been really praying lately because I... I love to pray for the sick and I love to learn how to demonstrate God's power and presence as, as a way of showing his goodness. Um, but I, and I've seen a couple of miracles with these boys, but none of them have given their lives to Jesus. It's, it's almost like the miracle doesn't tip them over the edge. And I was, I was sharing a bit of my wrestle with evangelizing to these Muslim boys. And he went, oh, whoa, 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 hold on. These are all Muslims. I was like, yeah. And he goes, check this out. And he reaches into his pocket. He pulls out these documents. He says, do you know what this is? I was like, no, what? He's like, this is a list of every time Jesus is mentioned in the Quran. I keep it in my pocket because I evangelize to Muslims all the time. And he's like, oh, he's, he opens it up and it's like every reference from the Quran that, uh, I think his name is Isa Musa in the, in the Quran. Isa Musa, yeah. And he's like, here's every reference. And he's like, get this. And he started to compare Jesus to Muhammad. And even in the Quran, Jesus is cooler than Muhammad in their own scriptures. And he's like, I'm telling you, man, you, you, you open their scriptures and show them our Jesus. I'm like, oh, that's, that's hectic. And he's like, it'll, show, it'll say that he didn't die. There's no, but Muhammad did. It says that he did miracles, but Muhammad didn't. In the Quran. 
And he's like, I'm telling you, it opens their hearts to Jesus. And he's like, so he gives me these documents. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And he's like, tell me more about miracles. I'm like, why? He's like, because I'm burning for miracles. And so one thing I'm, I'm growing in is seeing miracles, but not knowing how to actually just, just, just intellectually lead someone into a space with Jesus. Whereas he's able to have an argument, but can't demonstrate the gospel. So neither of us have been all that fruitful, because sometimes you need both, right? So then I started to tell him about some of the miracles I've been seeing. And he says, oh, man, um, aren't you afraid of um, the demons that people have? Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, so do you lay hands on people and you pray for them? It's like, yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't think that was, I thought that was dangerous. I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And he goes, can I tell you my story? So sitting there in Aldi, Raj tells me his story. He's from India, right? And he, in his mid to late 20s, got a really terrible back. And he was a Hindu. So he wasn't a Christian. He was a Hindu. And he had a really terrible back. And so he ended up in hospital for four months because the system there is not as efficient as ours. And he needed an operation on his back. So he waited four months in the hospital in chronic pain in his back. And one day while he's in hospital, he finds in the the, um, side table a Bible. And so he's like, oh, man, I'm just going to read this Bible, this Hindu man. And so he says he read the Bible from start to finish, the whole Bible. And he says, I read the Bible and I concluded two things. One, if, if this book's real, then I know that God loves me. Two, I know that he'll heal me. This is a, this is a Hindu man reading the whole Bible. That's the conclusion he makes. God loves me and he can heal me. So he reads the whole Bible. He sits down and on his own in the hospital room, prays to Jesus, and he's instantly healed in the hospital. His back is healed. He walks out of the hospital that day. This is the guy I met in Aldi, Raj, right? And then so he's, he's ecstatic. He's like, oh, my gosh, Jesus is God. I'm not a Hindu. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And he starts preaching to everyone he meets, And he immediately gets in quite a bit of trouble with the Hindus, his family. But he starts seeing miracles. His auntie was healed of cancer. And that caused a whole bunch of them got saved. But then he actually came under persecution. But he said, I went to this conference. And it was the first group of Christians I'd met because I got saved in a hospital on my own. And I went to this Christian conference. And I was so excited to meet brothers and sisters and um, but the first session of this conference, and I've been praying for people, laying hands on them, seeing the sick healed. He said the first session of the conference, this lady said, be careful who you lay hands on because don't be hasty with the laying on of hands. The reason that's in the Bible is because you can catch people's demons or their sin if they're living in sin. Has anyone ever heard that, that concept? Or Yes, yeah, it's, it's unfortunately quite prevalent. That's not what that verse is talking about by any stretch. It's talking about the ordination of pastors and leaders in the church. You just got to read a couple of verses above and below to see that. There's a very plain context. It's got nothing to do with catching demons. That's silly. It's especially silly when you're reading things like Matthew 16 and the keys of the kingdom and the he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world right? But he said, because no one told him otherwise, and he was a very young Christian, he never prayed for another person. Shut him down. Then the persecution got so bad that he moved to Australia. That's why he lives in Australia. 
And so now he's evangelizing, but he doesn't pray for people. And he comes into LD, and I was like, oh my gosh, you have to come to our home group and just hang out, and we'll get in the Word together. Because I'm like, if we, this guy could get unlocked again, he's going to be magnificent, right? So we have a home group in our home, Christine and I, at that time, and he decides to come. But the, the funny, the ironic thing is, the day of our home group, the next week that this guy Raj is coming to, we're in West End doing outreach. And if you're into New Age, it's a bit of a hot spot down there for people into witchcraft and things like that. And that day, we just happened to meet this, this person who called herself a witch doctor. Uh, and she was dressed like one too, like really quite um, uh, interesting. And we met her on the streets of West End. And, and uh, again, growing in this revelation of the kingdom and what it can do and, the, and the, the ability of God to change an atmosphere, she said, I would like to bless you to me and my friend. Can I bless you guys? And, and um, again, a divine experiment. I said, well, look, why don't, why don't you can bless me if I get to bless you after? To this witch doctor. And she's like, okay, great. And so she actually said a blessing over us. And I was considering in my heart, and I, I, I was just praying, I was talking to the Father and just reinforcing in my heart how, how big he is in you in those moments and how um, he who holds you, I was actually, the verse was, um, he who is born of God holds you firm and the evil one cannot touch you. I was just considering that. And she spoke some things, and I felt nothing of the demonic at all. But then we got to pray for her, and she, she couldn't stand up. She had to sit down. And the presence of God overcame her. She had to sit down. Uh, she, her body, you know, there was a bit of a manifestation. And she's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what just happened? And, and just to release the gospel on this witch doctor. She's like, you know, isn't it funny that you've, you must have tried so hard to build up this power that you crave, but it can't do anything to me in, the, in a moment like this. Your best effort. But then this, this person named Jesus, who I've just received as a free gift, can impact you like that. Oh, and this, this lady got rocked. And then we went down to a cafe and we met a lady who said she was a white witch. I don't know what that is. But we got to love on her, pray on her, had some words of knowledge for her, give her a big hug. And then we go home to our home group that Raj is coming to, who's got this thing in his head of don't be hasty with laying on of hands. And I've got all these stories from that day to share with Raj. Isn't that awesome? I know. Best story ever. Right? So we get home, and then it just gets more interesting. So Raj is first, because he's, he's antsy. So he's the first one at our home group. He's sitting in the living room, me and him at, having a cup of tea. And then Christine is in the, our bedroom with one of our family members, a, a female cousin, because the week before, we'd done this love encounter. It's like we just pray, release the love of God on someone. And she had manifested this rage and run out of the room. I've never seen that before, just praying the love of God. And so, and then she had a really hard week and was like, well, this started when they prayed for me, so I'm going to their house. She wasn't a Christian. So she's in our bedroom with Christine. She, Christine's just loving on her. I'm in the living room having a tea with Indy and Raj. And, and then we're just getting comfortable, and Christine comes out, and she goes, there's a demon in our room. I need you. And Raj is like, what? <laughs> I'm like, Raj, I'm so sorry. I'll be right back. And then, like, go into our room. <laughs> and 
And she's writhing on, on our bed like a snake and really manifesting a demon. And um, it was quite intense. And so we, um, uh, we just ministered to this girl. And it was amazing. Um, we found that the reason uh, in this particular instance, I, I had this faith to be like, okay, what do you see right now in the room? And she said, I see dark figures, one there, one there. Well, she's like physically, physically seeing dark figures in our room. I said, okay, what's going to happen now is they're going to leave the room and Jesus is going to walk in the room. So when you close your eyes for a second and she closed her eyes, open your eyes and, and she's like, <gasps> I see him. I couldn't see him. She could see Jesus with her eyes open, staring at our doorway of our room. And I went, okay, I... I feel like you need to let him in. You need to let him into your life. He, he wants to fill you right now with who he is. Are you, are you able to accept him? And she just couldn't do it. We had to like wrestle through these lies. And I said, why wouldn't you? Look, he's right here. Jesus is here to set you free. And the answer was, he won't love me like I'll love him. That came out of her mouth. And we were able to just pluck that lie out. And she received Jesus right then and there in our bedroom. It was delivered. And you know what happened? As soon as she received him, this like of gold dust just covered our bed. <laughs> of our bedroom? Gold dust? Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Crazy, right? And so now we've got this family member of ours with gold dust all over her head on our bed sheets, just laughing, like this joy filled the room. So the three of us go out and Raj is there like, how'd you go? And we sit with Raj and the other people come and we unpack for him this, this one passage that had been misapplied. He went home on fire. He started to see miracle after miracle after miracle. Do you know in the next two weeks, I saw three of my Muslim boys come to Jesus in the next two weeks. One of them had, because I got to sit with the Quran and open it up for them. And one of them had a dream of Jesus. Walked into him as Isa uh, Musa. He's like, who are you? I'm Isa Musa, the one, the one you've read about. I'm here. I'm, I am Savior. And literally, he wakes up and comes to me and says, I had a dream of Jesus. I'm ready to become a Christian. Get to lead him to Jesus and then two others in the coming weeks. Isn't that awesome? What a divine series of events, right? And I felt led to share that tonight because I feel like God wants to release something. Of, of, of an actual attuning to divine opportunity. Like we're in a time where the enemy's trying to take the ground of people's minds and create more fear. And I just think we're going to combat it tonight. We're going to pray together. As we close tonight, we're going to have a, a real prayer time and let, let just let God impact us tonight. I feel like he's going to increase hunger because that's what he's on right now. But he's actually going to create, there's an open door for divine opportunities in the coming days. And we have actually had an increase on our email and our testimony messenger. And I believe we're going to get a flood. I'm believing for it, praying for it. So I want to invite the team if I can. We're going to, um, I'm going to open up some prayer time in a moment. Oh, God's so good. Gosh, he's given us permission He's given us permission to carry a realm and, and he's not waiting for us to finish seminary before we can do it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't he kind? It seems like the greatest divine risk he could have ever taken, but he took it for us. He wants this. 
Does anyone remember in Luke 9 how he gives the, the um, disciples authority to heal the sick and cast out demons and do the stuff and preach the kingdom? The start of Luke 9, right? He sends out the 12 and they come back and it says they marveled that even the demons are obedient to us in your name. And Jesus takes them away, but then they get swamped and then he feeds the 5,000. Just, it's just endless increase of demonstration in his life, but total empowerment of these 12, right? You'd think they'd be, they'd be starting to mature, these 12 guys, but you know, there's three paragraphs at the end of Luke 9 before you hit Luke 10. And they do these three really foolish things. These 12 guys that Jesus has given total authority, right? Suddenly, it says that they argued over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. You remember that? That's silly. You can see they're not getting the concept of new covenant leadership and servant-heartedness. They're just like, man, I wonder who's going to be the greatest at this new thing we're growing in. Immaturity. The next thing, they see someone casting out a demon but they recognize that he's not with their clique. And so they try to leave the demon in a person because, well, he's not with our posse, so he can't cast out demons. That's foolish. Another demonstration of immaturity, right? That's two. The next thing, the icing on the cake, is they try to enter a Samaritan village and they don't receive them. And so John and, um, who is it? The sons of Zebedee, James and John? They get this bright idea to call fire down from heaven and destroy the whole village. You remember? What does Jesus say? He said, Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what spirit you are of. Oh, I did not come to destroy life, but to save life. Now, three demonstrations of immaturity. And what does Jesus do? That's it. Guys, you know what? You know what? Give me that authority back. That was too far. James and John, you blew it, right? We're going to, let's just take another year. I'll show you a bunch more. You can try again, maybe. That's it, guys. You're going to have to do two years. Intro to Bible, <laughs> right? You hit Luke 10 verse 1 and it says, Then Jesus, this is like in the next moment, then Jesus gathered 70 more and gave them authority and sent them out. It's like, what? Permission granted. Increase the kingdom. Learn through doing, not by hearing. Jesus is so empowering. Every single one of us has been filled with his spirit and given permission. We can lay our hands on the sick and they will recover. You need nothing more. You have all things for life and godliness. Don't believe a lie of lack right now. Man, the fullness of Christ, as he is, so are you in this world. My gosh, the power to carry revival, you've been entrusted and endowed with that. I want to pray and I want us to, to actually experience that afresh tonight. And then we're going to use it and we're going to pray something over our city and our nation. But as we transition, I, I want to ask if you're here tonight and you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity. The best decision you would ever make in your entire life to receive Jesus as Lord. If you're here tonight and you've felt that, 
that uh, impressing upon your heart that I, I want this Jesus. I'm looking for this Jesus. I'm drawn to this Jesus. And that's him drawing you into a decision to, to make him Lord of your life. If that's you tonight, I want to pray for you. I want to welcome you into the kingdom with our family here. So could you raise your hand nice and high for me if that's you? You say, I'm here and I need Jesus. I want to receive him as my Lord and my Savior tonight. I'm going to look around and you just raise your hand nice and high for me so I can see it. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.